great to see all of you here today. Wasn't it great to start our service with a couple baptisms? Wasn't that fantastic? Absolutely. Hey, before we go to the Word today, I want you to notice around near you, you're going to see cards that look like this. Do you see those in your seats around you? This is a volunteer card. It's a serving card, whatever you want to call it. But this is us communicating to you ways that you can get plugged in. Many of you have asked, hey, I want to jump in and serve somewhere. I want to do something that's got Jesus' name attached to it. And we want to let you know there's some areas that you could jump in right away, like our hospitality team and our New Life kids and students, social media, um, our security team, what's not on here. Also, if you have interest, if you're kind of a tech person and you'd like to get involved with computers and cameras and sound and audiovisual stuff or online presence or live stream, write that on there. Let us know. And let me tell you, if you do that, um, what's going to happen is you're going to fold that card in half and you're going to drop it off in these metal receptacles on your way out here today. And if you do that, you're going to get a phone call this week from one of our team leaders that represents these areas. And they're going to have a conversation with you about what it looks like to serve in that ministry. By, by circling this or letting it be known you're interested, you're not saying, I'll do it forever. You're not saying, you know, put me in right, right now. What you're saying is, hey, give me a call. I'd love to talk with you about what it looks like to serve and be involved in one of these areas. And we hope that you'll give us the opportunity to do that. I'll tell you, there's nothing greater than serving the Lord and making a difference in the kingdom. And, and this is a great opportunity for you to do that. So that's what that card is. Also, let me just tell you this. How many of you received in the mail this week our Go West letter? A lot of you did. Okay, great. If you didn't get it for some reason, it's on our website. You can go to newlifenwa.com slash go west. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, the Lord has put this church on a journey for the last couple of years. As we have grown and as we've outgrown this facility, God has given us opportunity to launch a second campus out on the west side, right off the bypass where it's being worked on. And so soon, one day, there's going to be a second New Life campus. It'll be one church, two locations, and it's going to be phenomenal. And so this represents our, our, some of our steps towards making that vision a reality. I won't talk any more about it right now, but please know you can reach out for us at any time to ask questions. You are going to have a lot of opportunities over the next two months to come to, to gatherings and meetings. Um, I'm going to be preaching about this in April, all about our Go West and what it's going to take to get us there. Um, but we just want to start giving you some information. Soon we're going to start showing you some pictures and other things about what's all going to happen out there. And so buckle up. God is about to to shoot this thing into overdrive, and I'm just so, so thrilled uh, that God has allowed us to be a part of something like that. In fact, would you pray with me? Can we just continue to pray about this? Put this before the Lord. Lord, you have been so faithful all this time, and Lord, even for several years now, you have been, been uh, slowly unpacking details about what it's going to look like and what it's going to take to see this vision become a reality. Lord, we thank you that you feel that we're worthy to do this. And that, Lord, as you have provided every step of the way, we know you'll provide for the next steps. So, Lord, as, as we continue just to walk by faith and you continue to lead, Lord, would you keep opening doors and keep us inspired and dreaming about what it looks like, Lord, to be in a position to reach more and more people we've ever reached before with the good news of Jesus. They'd come into a saving relationship with you. So, Lord, help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I've got two children. I've got two sons, Neil and Brock. And uh, my oldest, Neil, is 16 years old. But I have this very vivid memory from when he was four years old. I was one night, I was putting him into bed, and he went and jumped in the bed. And I was about to say a prayer with him. He stretched out as far as he could. And he said, hey, Dad, look how long I'm getting. You know, can you imagine a four-year-old doing something like that? And I said to them, I know, Neil, you are just growing up way too fast. 
Little did I know that he would actually take those words literally. And he said, well, well, wait a minute. What do you mean I'm growing up too fast? What's wrong with me? I said, oh, no, 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 son. No, no, no. I, I don't mean that you're growing up too fast. I mean, you're, you're growing exactly the way God wants you to grow. What I mean is, just as your dad, you're growing up so fast. I mean, you're already four years old. And, and then one day you're going to be 18 years old and you're going to leave. And I continue to dig this hole. And for the first time in his life, he had this thought, I have to leave. <laughs> well, 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 what do you mean I have to leave? I'm like, well, Neil, Neil, I don't mean, well, here, son, listen, one day you're going to be an adult and, and it's natural and, 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 and you're going to go off to college. And, and, and all I'm saying, son, is that it's going by really fast from my point of view. But listen, everything's perfect in your life. Everything's going just the way it's supposed to. And then he said, well, you're going to come with me to college, right? How do you, how do you answer this to a four-year-old? So I said, well, Neil, listen, listen um, that's, that's not for a long time from now, okay? So don't you worry about it. Then he goes, well, can mom come too? And before I could think of an answer, he goes, because if she comes, she can bring all the cookies. And I'm like, well, that's true. She would bring a lot of cookies, and I'm trying to answer this question, and I'm just trying to be honest. And, and, but I said, I said Neil, listen, um, everything's going to be okay. And of course, I'll be right there with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And that, that seemed to kind of help him feel better, and, and that kind of appeased him. And, you know, as, as, as I thought about that more and more, Neil's biggest worry was not so much that he was going to have to leave the house. His bigger worry was, am I going to be all alone in this? And as I think about that more and more, that moment all those years ago, it reminds me of our conversation that we're going to have here as a church family today. It reminds me of our topic. And our topic is this, what does the Bible teach us about the Holy Spirit? Because as my son Neil was worried about being alone, but then he was assured because I was going to be right there with him. The church today, a Christian can be assured that we're not going to be alone either. Why? Because God's Holy Spirit is with us every step of the way. What does the Bible teach us about the Holy Spirit? To get us started, I'm going to um, turn to John 13 and John 14. You're welcome to turn there uh, with me if you want today. We're going to reference it several times, but like the other sermons in this series, I'm going to be all over the Bible today, and so you can follow along in your app if you'd like. But we're going to start in John 13 and 14, and it's interesting because in those two chapters of the Bible, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, and he shares with them several things. The first thing he shares with them is that I'm going to have to leave you. And then he says, one of you is going to betray me. And then he tells him, where I'm going, you cannot follow. This is some um, excruciating news. It's like for the first time in their entire lives, they've had to deal with this idea that Jesus, who they've been with for several years, won't be with them much longer. And then there's all this business about betrayal and what is the world Jesus talking about? Then Jesus says, if you keep reading through chapter 13 and 14, Jesus tells them that I am going away to prepare a place for you. And where I'm going, you cannot go, but I'm going there to prepare a place and I will come back to get you. And he describes this place as being like a place with mansions and many rooms. It's a very famous passage of scripture. And then we come to John chapter 14, verse 15, and Jesus tells them this, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. What is Jesus saying to his disciples? 
He is saying this, I'm leaving, but you won't be alone. That's his message. I'm leaving, but you won't be alone. And he uses this word. He says, I'm going to give you an advocate in my place. Some translations use this, they translate that word to be counselor. The New American Standard Version of the Bible uses the word helper. The King James Version uses the word comforter. The Greek word is parakletos, and it literally means somebody who's going to come to one's aid. Somebody who's going to come to one's side. So you really get down into the original Greek here. What word did Jesus say? He said, I'm going to send you somebody who's going to come alongside of you, come to you in time of need. You are not going to be alone. An advocate, a counselor, helper, a comforter. I'm leaving, but you won't be alone. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're in this series right now called Grounded, and we've been looking at together the core essential teachings of the Bible, the doctrine. What is it those things we have to be unity, have unity on? We've talked about God, how he's the creator of all things. He's all present, all knowing, all powerful. He is holy. And then we talked about sin. Sin is coming up short of God's mark. It's missing it together. It's violating God's law. Sin has infected every single one of us and created this barrier between us and God. And then we talked about Jesus. Jesus is the cure for sin. Through the cross, he bridged the gap between God and man and brought us back together. Last week, we talked about salvation. What does the Bible say about salvation? In the conversation of salvation, there's four components. Believe, repentance, confession, and baptism. And now we move on to the Holy Spirit. You know, the person in the work of the Holy Spirit is not something that gets preached a whole lot about, in my experience anyway, The Holy Spirit is somebody that we talk about often because he comes up often in our study of the Bible, in our preaching. I know that I come across the work and the person of the Holy Spirit all the time in my own personal Bible reading. But you know, to actually hear somebody preach a sermon on this is who the Holy Spirit is and this is what the Holy Spirit does and this is how you know you have a Holy Spirit in your life. Now that's not something that I I have uh, a lot of experience hearing sermons just about that. I don't know about you. I, I wonder if sometimes we shy away way from talking about the Holy Spirit because there might be this impression among Christians today that the Holy Spirit is some mysterious and deep subject that we could never really understand. And so we just like, well, it's the Holy Spirit. It's mysterious. I wonder too, if we shy away from talking about Holy Spirit, because when it comes to the discussion of spiritual gifts, maybe we say, well, I don't really know all about the spiritual gift stuff and what my spiritual gifts are and how those spiritual gifts are used. And, but I can tell you this, The the New Testament leaves no doubt whatsoever as to the importance of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life. Now, consider these two verses. Romans 8 9 says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. To me, that seems pretty important, doesn't it, to you? 1 John 4 13 says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. So there's a question that hovers over this conversation. What is, or maybe a better way to ask is, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible teach us about him? 
Well, last week is going to be, or this week's going to be a lot like last week in this sense. Do you remember last week I said, talking about salvation, we're going to be dealing with the large print. You know, this is the general understanding of salvation. We're not going to get down into the fine print so much. Today's conversation is going to be a lot like that. We're going to be dealing with the large print, the general understanding, what the Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit, not so much the, the fine print. I would imagine that in a church like ours, we could have some very hearty discussions about the role and activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're we're going to be really dealing with the, the broader sense of the Holy Spirit. And I'll start off by telling you this. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. God, the Father, and the God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. That is we know as the Trinity. And Jesus commanded his disciples to go out and do what? Teach people everything that I've taught you, and to baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If you remember from two sermons ago when we spent time talking about Jesus, we learned what? That Jesus was equal to God and at the same time he was distinct from God. You could say the same thing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is equal to God and equal to Jesus, but at the same time distinct from God and distinct from Jesus. And the Bible tells us how he is distinct. And he tells us what the person of the Holy Spirit is like. And if you take all the scriptures about this description of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to start to see that the Holy Spirit is talked about in terms of attributes like a person. The Holy Spirit shares attributes like, like a person would. For example, the Holy Spirit speaks, the Holy Spirit testifies, the Holy Spirit teaches, the Holy Spirit leads and forbids, a lot like what people do. But the Holy Spirit also has characteristics of a person. The Holy Spirit, the Bible speaks, has a mind, has affection or love. The Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit can be grieved or can be vexed. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. The, the Holy Spirit can be sinned against. So as you read about the Holy Spirit, there's attributes, there's characteristics of a person. But they also have, the Holy Spirit also has attributes and characteristics of God. Like for example, the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, is eternal because he was with God at creation. The Holy Spirit knows what God knows. The Holy Spirit, we are to baptize into his name. The Holy Spirit, the Bible speaks how he is holy in the sense as the spirit of holiness, the spirit of grace, the spirit of truth, the spirit of wisdom. He has godly attributes. And the Holy Spirit works a lot like God works. He was there at creation. The Holy Spirit is part of giving life. The Holy Spirit was the author of the prophecies. The Holy Spirit's involved in, in the working of miracles. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot that we could say about just elaborate on just the list that I gave you. But I give you that rundown to show you that the Holy Spirit should not be viewed as some asterisk connected to our faith in some mysterious way. It's like, well, I don't understand the Holy Spirit. It's that thing out there. No, 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 no. Just from the general, just these few attributes we learn about in Scripture. No, no, the Holy Spirit is much more central than that. So let's look at what the Bible says, because that's our source of understanding. It's our source of truth. The Bible speaks a lot about the Holy Spirit, both in the Old and the New Testament. 
But it's really in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit comes bursting onto the scene. And we read all about that in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we know Jesus has already died. He's already risen to life. And in that time, he gives his disciples some very specific instructions about what they're supposed to do next, what their next steps are. So Jesus has risen to life. He is in that season where he's appearing to all these people, but he has not yet ascended into heaven. And he gives them these instructions like this. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus said, I am going to send you what my father has promised. He's telling his disciples, you're going to get something. It's not here yet, but you're going to get something. So stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. So Jesus says, something powerful is coming. It's coming from on high means it's coming from God. It's coming from the father. So you just wait for it. It's going to come. You're going to know it when it comes. And then in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus starts to give them some pieces. There's a gift coming. You're gonna know when you see it. It's gonna be power from on high. He calls it the Holy Spirit and he's gonna empower you to be witnesses in, in all, all the land, all the way to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, what Jesus is promising them comes to fruition. Friends, if you've never read Acts chapter 2, let me just encourage you, as a Christian, you need to know all about Acts chapter 2. Because when you ask the question, where did the New Life Christian Church come from? We point to Acts chapter 2. That's where we came from. So in Acts chapter 2, you have all the disciples hanging out together waiting for whatever this gift is from God. And then in this moment there, the Bible describes the sound of a mighty rushing wind. So just imagine like a tornado sound or something like that. And it fills this place. It fills all the streets. I mean, it's this mighty sound. And then the Bible describes the Holy Spirit coming down in the form of fire. And this fire divides among the 12 disciples and it rests over each of their heads. This is how the Holy Spirit arrived. This is this gift. And they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that they went out into the streets. These 12 disciples, they went out into the streets and there's already a crowd now that's out there. Why was there a crowd? Because this mighty sound, it would draw a crowd. You hear a loud noise outside? We go out and look, don't we? There's all these people in the streets and the disciples begin to preach. And here's the miracle that the Holy Spirit enabled them to do. They were able to preach the good news of Jesus in languages that they didn't know. So I I equate it like this. So I'm preaching to you in English. There's my version of English. But what if all of you were from Russia and nobody spoke English, but you heard my words in Russian? That's how, this is this miracle. This is this, this uh, the gift of tongues that we read about here in Acts chapter two that they could hear in all these different languages. And it caused people to perk up and listen. And they're like, how are all these people? How are these guys preaching in my own native language? And as they preach, we don't get the full manuscript of everything that every disciple preached. They spread out among the streets and they're preaching to large groups of people. But it culminates when you get to Acts chapter two, verse 38. Peter looks out the crowd and he says, this is what you gotta do, folks. You gotta repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've joked with you that there are times that I wish I had a silver DeLorean with a flex capacitor and I could go back in time. 
This is one of those moments I would love to go back in time for and just be in the crowd and watch all of this unfold. Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which leads us to the next obvious question. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? What is Peter talking about? The gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit is given to every single person the moment they become saved. Denver Sizemore uh, gives this brief summary of the Holy Spirit. I think it's pretty good. He says, the Holy Spirit is a special helper sent to carry on Jesus's work and to live in the Christian. His presence assures the Christian of his salvation and that he belongs to God. So what is the gift of the Holy Spirit? It is the Holy Spirit itself living inside of each and every one of us. And we're gonna get into a little bit more about what that means specifically. But what did Jesus promise about this? Jesus made this promise that the Holy Spirit would be within the believer. The Holy Spirit would live within the believer. And if I'll take you back to John chapter 14, where we started in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate, this one to come to your aid, this counselor, this helper. I'm gonna send that guy. And he will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why cannot the world accept him? Why can't the world even accept the Holy Spirit today? Because they are lost. And the Holy Spirit only dwells within the saved. And so those who are lost, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't know him. They can't see him. They can't experience because there is no faith. There is no Jesus in that person's life. The Holy Spirit is for believers only. So then he says, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. So I would imagine what led up to Peter saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What led up to that were conversations that Peter and the other disciples had with Jesus. He says, I'm going to give you somebody. He's going to be an advocate, a helper. And when he comes, I'm going to be in you. You're going to be in me. And you're going to know God like you've never known him before. And so Peter, who now received the Holy Spirit in the way that the Lord had told him, turns around. He tells his group, if you want this too, here's what you need to do. Repent of your sins. Be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you become saved, the Holy Spirit takes up a permanent residence in you. And the Holy Spirit has a very specific role. But we'll talk more about that too in just a moment. First, I wanna share this with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 tells us this. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Our very bodies are now considered temples in God's eyes. 
Now, to better understand this, you got to go back in the Old Testament a little bit under the Old Covenant. Where did God dwell with his people? He dwelled with them in his temple. You have the tabernacle, which led to the temple. And you had these physical structures that God would make his presence known. And there were things that happened at the tabernacle and the temple where God showed his presence. We talk about it like this. The tabernacle and the temple was where God dwelled with his people. But when Jesus died on the cross and rose to life, when he became the once and for all sacrifice for all sins, there was no need for a temple any longer. Now, under the new covenant, where does God dwell with his people? Right here. We are now the temple ourselves of the Holy Spirit. God dwells here. So don't you think it's kind of important what we do and don't do with our bodies? Because we're temples of the Holy Spirit. So what did Jesus promise? He said, after I'm gone, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He told them that I'm going to send you somebody else. It's going to be like a counselor, an advocate, a helper, a comforter. He's going to come to your aid. He will live in you and he will be my presence in you. That's the Holy Spirit. So the next question, we know what the gift of the Holy Spirit is. We, we know that he lives in us. He's God's presence in us. So here's another question. How do I know if the Holy Spirit is in me? How do I know if I've got it? And this is one of those questions, friends, that has for some reason become very confusing for many people. And I think it's become confusing and somewhat difficult for people to answer this question because of all the different teachings and convoluted messages about what the Holy Spirit is and how you receive the Holy Spirit. I think there's a whole lot of a mixed bag of teaching. There are some who would teach that, that you know that you have the Holy Spirit when the Spirit is accompanied with some kind of miraculous sign. Have you ever heard that before? Anybody been taught that before? That you've got the Spirit because it's going to be accompanied with a sign. If, if you watch much religious programming on television, then you'll probably notice what I've noticed is that much of the preaching and teaching about the Holy Spirit revolves around this very idea that the Holy Spirit comes with some kind of signal, some kind of sign. And if you have not received this sign in your life, then you have not yet met or received the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the most famous televangelists that are on TV these days holds meetings and there's thousands of people that come to his gatherings and he will at times bring them up on stage and he will do things in front of the crowd so that they can receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he'll tap them on the forehead, they'll fall down and he'll say, receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he'll blow in their face and say, I'm breathing in the Holy Spirit on you and things like that. Sometimes he'll walk across stage and wave his arms and people fall down and Holy Spirit, show yourself and, and listen, and I'm not questioning his faith or sincerity, but when the Bible is your guide, I simply just don't read anything about anything like that. What I see on, portrayed on TV, I think has the potential to create confusion on something the Bible has been very clear about. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is in you? Well, you can tell it this way. It's because by faith, you have obeyed the gospel, you have believed the promise. That's how you know the Holy Spirit is in you. Peter said what to, to the crowd that day? Repent and be baptized 
every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not repent and be baptized in some kind of experience with some kind of miraculous sign that will convince you that now you have the Holy Spirit. That's not what he said. I can tell you that where I'm at in my study of the Bible, when you become saved, you also, at the same time, receive the Holy Spirit. And you believe the promises of the Bible. You believe the promise of the gospel that when you become saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, God's presence in you. But is there any other way to know I have the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible seems to speak that you'll know that you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life because there'll be the presence of the fruits of the Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is given to each and every one of us to produce these fruits of righteousness. Now, what am I talking about? Galatians chapter five, verse 22 through 23 is probably the most prominent part of this whole understanding. Paul said to the church, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want to talk, the fruits of the spirit are evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in you or dwells in you. As a Christian, we're to produce good fruit in our lives. Jesus and other disciples, they talked about it like this. You're gonna know if a tree is good or bad by the fruit that it produces. If the tree produces good fruit, you know it's a good tree. If it produces bad fruit, you know it's a bad tree. And it's the same kind of understanding. If somebody is, is saved and the Holy Spirit lives there, there should be the evidence of the fruits of the Spirit in their life. That when you become a Christian, there is a change that takes place in you, in every single one of us. The Bible talks about how the old is gone, the new has come, that there is a new life or a new creation. And friends, let me tell you, when the Lord has radically changed your life and got a hold of your heart, there is an evident change. And you know who sees that change? The, all your friends and your family. If you've ever had any of your friends and family say, you know what, there's something different about you now. You're different, you've changed. You know what they're noticing? They're noticing the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life because you don't talk like them anymore. You don't think like them. Your priorities have all been flipped around. You don't laugh at the same things. You don't talk and joke about the same things anymore. There is a change that takes place. And what they're noticing is the, is the birth of these fruits in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control that take a lifetime to develop and grow. How else do you know the Holy Spirit is in you? Well, we know we possess the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit in you testifies to the Lordship of Jesus in your life. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, I think explains this. It says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And what's he talking about right here? He's like, nobody who is really being led by the Spirit, who has a Spirit in their life, is going, to, is going to disrupt or hurt the church. Nobody is gonna, nobody who's being led by the Spirit is gonna destroy the work of the gospel. Nobody led by the Spirit is gonna be a part of that kind of activity. But no, 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 those who are led by the Spirit are those who can say, Jesus is Lord, and I'm all about the work of what he's doing in this world. When you share your faith with somebody out of, out of a pure, sincere heart, and you say, I want you to know Jesus, that comes from the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, nudging you and moving you along to share the 
the gospel? Have you ever been talking with somebody and you just get that thing in your heart that says, talk to them more about Jesus or ask them this question or we call these things the prompting of the spirit. Have you ever experienced that? And then not do it? And then later you're like, I should have done it. Or have you ever been prompted and then you did it and it changed that person's life? It changed the whole trajectory of their family? It's the spirit of God living in you that urges and prompts and it enables us to share the good news and to be a powerful kind of church. And it's because they say, Jesus is Lord. But when that's not there, nobody who is driven by the spirit, has the spirit living in them, can destroy and work against God's kingdom. So how do you know you have the Holy Spirit? You are testifying to the good news and the gospel and you are aligned with God's purposes and his plans. So by faith, we obey the gospel. Out of obedience, we know we have the Holy Spirit because the Bible says that. There's evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life because of the fruits that we bear. And when we testify that Jesus is Lord, that comes from the Holy Spirit in our lives. So there's another question. What in the world does the Holy Spirit do exactly? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit will enable each and every Christian to bear these fruits of righteousness. Romans 5, 5 says this. God's love has done what? It has been poured out into the hearts, our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when you think about the fruit of the Spirit is of love, that's a representation of God's love. And how did we get it? Through the Holy Spirit. When we talk about God's peace and God's patience and and, and God's self-control and all, where do we get these things? They have been poured into us through the Holy Spirit. So that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you have the Holy Spirit, it will help you bear these fruits of righteousness. What else does the Holy Spirit do? It will bring you, the Holy Spirit will bring you the power to overcome anything. Romans 8.13 says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, I've heard it said this. I'm going to summarize a whole bunch of study and teachings that I've done about this very thing. I kind of condensed it into, into these next few words. That victory in our lives is through a joint effort between you as a saved person and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So the Holy Spirit will join with the Christian to overcome literally anything. This is done by the act of will. Like say, I will, I desire to overcome and I will persevere and I will see this through. And the aid of the Holy Spirit that comes alongside the power of God in you to overcome. So it's like this, we furnish the purpose We furnish the determination. Let's say that there's sin in our lives and I desire and I furnish the determination to overcome this sin. The Holy Spirit comes alongside with the power of God to help you overcome it. He's our warrior champion, if you will, in our lives to overcome anything that comes our way. Ephesians 3.16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The Holy Spirit gives you power to overcome. And in those moments when you don't think you can go on anymore, 
but you do. It's the Holy Spirit come alongside. What, what else does the Spirit do in your life? Well, very clearly you need to understand the Holy Spirit seals you as a Christian. Consider Ephesians chapter 1, 13. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a, catch this, deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Do you understand this seal language? If you go back into Bible times, if somebody was gonna send like a letter, they would write the letter and they would roll it up real tight and they'd put a little piece, of, a little drop of wax where the edges come together and whoever was sending that letter, they would either have a ring or some kind of stamp and they would press it down into that warm wax and create a seal over that letter and that seal marked the owner of that letter. So this letter, that belongs to this individual. It has been marked with a seal. You know, we do these kind of things today. Ranchers do it all the time. If there's a rancher and he's got a thousand cattle, it doesn't matter if all of his cattle is mixed in with hundreds of thousands of other cattle. You know why? Because he has branded those cattle. He has put his mark. He has burned it onto their, their backsides. And I almost said, but burned it into their backsides. I'm in church, gotta be careful. Turn it, burn the backsides. And so now he's like, that cow has my mark. And I know that that cow belongs to me because I have branded it. Are you familiar with the cowboy churches? Have you ever drive down the highway and see the cowboy church? I don't know a whole lot about those guys, but I love their slogan. Cowboy church, we've been branded for Christ. I love that. It's this idea the Holy Spirit marks you, seals you for the day of redemption. And it's like when we go to heaven, God's gonna be like, I know you, you have my mark on you. You have the Holy Spirit, which I gave as a deposit for eternity. Come on in, well done, my good and faithful servant. I know you, you know me. Scary to think God would look at you on that day and say, I don't recognize you. Hmm, I don't see my mark on you. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit seals you as a Christian. It is your deposit guaranteeing salvation in heaven forever. Friends, that is why only the saved can have the Holy Spirit and that is why the lost do not because you've been sealed for eternity. What else does the Spirit do? The Spirit intercedes for the Christian and provides power for prayer. Consider these verses out of Romans chapter eight, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through world, world, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. There are some aspects of this I'm not sure I fully understand, but I understand it in, in practice, if you will. Have you ever been praying to God? Have you ever been quiet and on your knees before the Lord and you don't even really know what to pray? Have you ever been sitting there and you're like, I don't know what to say right now? 
There seems to be one of the roles of the Holy Spirit who knows us so well is to pray for us and intercede to God on our behalf. And could you imagine that, that some of the prayer times that have said the fewest words may have been the most productive? Because the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf and prays for us, gives us the words. Now, this has been kind of one-sided so far. It's like, this is what the Holy Spirit is. This is, this is what the Holy Spirit does. And these are all the benefits of having the Spirit in your life. But the next question is, I would ask is, what's our obligation to the Holy Spirit living in us? Is it just one-sided? I mean, what's my role in this? Well, the Bible speaks very clearly that as Christians, we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 tells us this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you back out of that verse and look at the full context, this verse indicates that the Spirit, who's like a person living in your heart, is grieved by things like corrupt speech, Lying, stealing, malice, anger, unforgiveness in your heart. Basically, you can grieve the Holy Spirit living in you when sin is alive and well in your life. Now, just think about that for a minute. If you understand the Holy Spirit is active and alive and interceding and sealing you, and it's a very active part of your life, you can actually grieve, just like you would grieve somebody else. Like if your behavior when you were growing up grieves your parents, or if your behavior grieved your coworkers or whatever, you can grieve the Holy Spirit by your own behavior. We also have this obligation, if you will. We are not to quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says it just like that. Do not quench the Spirit. Some translations say it like this. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. So if you think about the Holy Spirit like a flame or like a fire, it can burn bright and it can burn hot in somebody's life, which is what we want, or it can be smothered. Now think about that. Are there things that I can do and welcome into my life and way I behave that actually smothers, quenches the Spirit's activity in my life? There are things that we do that, that smother it. Now there's a difference between grieving and quenching the Spirit. Grieving the Spirit has to do with the sin that we allow to keep going on in our lives. It grieves Him. Quenching the Spirit has more to do with, I would say, neglect. I don't care about the Spirit right now. I don't care so much about living for God. I don't care so much about praying anymore. I don't care so much about being inside of God's Word. I'll go to church when I feel like it. I'll be around and do godly things when I feel like it. There's something about neglect of our faith that quenches the spirit. It, it, it smothers the flame of the spirit. Now I believe my conviction of the scripture is that the Holy Spirit works through the word of God. It works through the Bible. So the more that we are in God's word and we know it, we learn more about God, the Holy Spirit guides and teaches and persuades us to do many things, empowers us to do things. But if we refuse and neglect the very basic tenets of our faith, prayer and scripture reading, we have actually frustrated the work of the Spirit 
in our lives. I sometimes wonder, why is the church in America not more effective than it is with all of our resources and all of our freedoms? And we look at the church in China and other places where they got nothing like we've got and they're on fire for God. And I'm like, what is the difference? Could it be that we as Christians in America have, have grieved the Spirit so much and has quenched the Spirit's fire that it's just not as active as it could be? I sometimes wonder, why is our nation moving so far away from God? And every time we look around, we're frustrated by what the laws that are passed and the decisions that are made and the, con- and the conversations that are happening up on the hill. Why are we frustrated by about that? I'll tell you why. It's because less and less and less people every single day that's been happening for generations now have less and less people have the fire burning bright and they've grieved the spirit of God and it shows in our nation. There's less and less Jesus in places of influence in this country and we have grieved the spirit and we have quenched the spirit's fire. So, what are we supposed to do instead? I almost really started getting going right there. Had to dial that back a little. We are to instead walk by the Spirit. Rather than grieve the Spirit, rather than quench the Spirit's fire, the New Testament urges the Christian to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The NASB version of the Bible says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, friends, I recognize them. I've given you a whole lot today. You probably feel like you're drinking out of a fire hose. I get it. In your app is pretty much everything that I've shared with you today. Every scripture, every point I've tried to make, every question I've tried to answer. And so use your app this week as you go into your life group, as you prepare for your life group study guides that are available, as you go through, it's all in your app. Go back and review. And I I truly believe that this will become more clear to you. But I wanna end with this. N.T. Wright's very well-known New Testament scholar And he talks a lot about the role and the task that we as Christians have in our world. And he says this in his writings. He says, many say, oh yes, the Holy Spirit came in his place to live in us. But for what purpose? The Holy Spirit came to empower us to be God's life in the world. We are to do the work of God in the world. We are to be God to the world. And we cannot do that alone. The church is God's redemptive community in the world. The New Life family here, we are to be about the work of God's redemption in the world. God has given us the task to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that the Lord has taught us. This is the vehicle that God has chosen to change the world. So the question is, Are you part of this church family who's being driven along by a red hot flame of the Holy Spirit or is there something in your life that is quenching the Spirit? Are you grieving the Holy Spirit? Only you can answer that question, but I can tell you that you are a part of the vehicle that God has chosen to change the world. And I envision a day when the church here in Bella Vista, the church here in America, stops grieving the Spirit, stops quenching the Spirit's fire, And it burns so red hot, we will absolutely change the world. Friends, this conversation about going west and all that it's going to take to see that come together 
is being driven along and led by the Holy Spirit. Let's fan that flame. Let's not pour water on that flame. Let's fan that flame. And let the Holy Spirit, God in us, be the very presence. So let's examine our lives. And if there's sin in our lives that grieves the Spirit, let's repent. If we have quenched the Spirit in our life because of neglect, let's get our Bibles back open and start reading them. And let's get down on our knees and start talking to God again. And that little flicker, that little, that little amber of heat that's still at the bottom of the fire, God will start to blow some wind in there and it will start to spark and it will start to grow. And friends, your life will be radically changed when you allow the Spirit to do what the Spirit does best. I don't know where you're at spiritually right now today. I don't know if this sermon makes perfect sense or it makes no sense. But I'm gonna let the Lord do his work with that. But where are you at today? I want you to know that at the conclusion of our service, I do believe God's been working on your hearts. And some of our elders will be hanging out here at the front after church. They love to visit with you. Maybe it's like, I need you to pray with me. They're gonna be here to pray with you. Maybe it's like, I wanna talk a bit more about faith or I'm ready to follow Jesus. I wanna get baptized. What is, what is on your heart today? What is the God, God is God stirring in you? I want you to know, some of our elders will be here. They'd love to pray with you and talk with you as soon as our service is over. You just hang out and they'd love to, to, to visit with you. Let me pray with you. Dear God, I just, Lord, sometimes I'm overwhelmed that you still choose to work in and through us. Lord, I, I look at the things that you've put in front of our church family and it reminds me that you're not done with us yet. Lord, I know that we're all at different places in our own spiritual journeys, but Lord, I pray that your word today has brought to light some things in our life, that your Holy Spirit is not some mysterious thing we'll never understand, but it is literally you living in us, our advocate, our counselor, our helper, our friend. It's your very presence and our bodies themselves are temples of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to live like it. In Jesus' name, amen.